Well, good morning. Let's uh, go ahead and get started, if we could, please, with a word of prayer. Our Father, we come before you now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to give you praise and honor, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we are grateful for the church and the privilege we have to gather together. Pray that you would uh, guide us in our thoughts this morning as we open the scriptures. May you communicate to us all that you desire to. And may we, Father, have ears to hear that we might incorporate these things into our thinking and the way that we live our lives. Also, that we might give more honor and glory and praise to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is week number 19 in our study of the book of Daniel. And we're over in chapter 6, 7. Last week we went through the first six verses of this chapter. And this chapter is the first vision that we have that Daniel himself had. Um, he has it in 549 or 550 BC, something like that, uh, about 10 years before the Babylonian kingdom is overtaken by the Persians and the, uh, the Medians and the Persians. So this is the first year of the kingship of Belhazar, who is the uh, is king for the last 11 years of the Babylonian kingdom. And so Daniel gives us this time frame reference, I think, so because it ties into what he sees in this vision and where the vision begins. And so we saw last week, um, there, this vision is all about four beasts that come up out of the waters. And we don't know exactly if they're sequentially or they're all at the same time. I, I tend to think of them as being sequential um, because that's the way it happens in history and also that's kind of the way Daniel describes what he sees. And so these four beasts, um, we'll see, represent four kingdoms or four kings that will rise from the earth. And we looked at the first three last week because they're given in brief detail in verses 4, 5, and 6. Verse 4 is a beast that looks like a lion. And then he talks about um, that he has wings like an eagle that are plucked, uh, that he stood to his feet to stand upright, and then he's given the mind of a man. And I believe this represents the Babylonian kingdom, um, and specifically the time after Nebuchadnezzar had gone insane and his hair had grown, and remember the descriptions there, it's like eagle's wings, and um, his fingernails and, and toenails like claws um, because they're untrimmed for seven years. And so this is a picture of Nebuchadnezzar being restored to his kingship. Um, so. That's the, what I believe is the lion. And then the next thing we see in verse 5 is a bear. And the bear is humped up on one side. And I believe this represents the Medo-Persian kingdom. And the reason it's humped up on one side is because the Persians were much stronger um, than the Medians were. And ultimately, that kingdom became just the Persian kingdom. And so you have this bear who has three ribs in its mouth and he's commanded to devour much meat, which the Medo-Persian kingdom did. They took over most of the known world during their time. And so that's the second kingdom. 
And then the third that we saw in verse 6 is um, that of uh, a leopard, and not just any normal leopard. This leopard has four wings on his back. And we discussed that the leopard is not the fastest animal on the planet. The, the cheetah is a good bit faster, and then there are birds that are much faster than even a cheetah. But this leopard's no ordinary leopard. He has four wings. And so this, is, this animal, this beast, is given to speed. And we talked about that this represents the Greek kingdom, and specifically Alexander the Great, and the speed at which he conquered most of the known world, uh, even as far as India. Um, he had thoughts about going down into Arabia, but he died uh, at the age of 32 before he could do that. So from 20 to 32 in Alexander's life, he conquered literally um, most of the known world. So at rapid pace um, did he do that. And then this leopard is, not, is fairly unique because it has four heads. And we talked about that that accurately predicted that after Alexander's death, uh, 50 years of infighting and then four kingdoms would arise uh, out of the kingdom of Alexander the Great. And so those will be very significant as we go through the rest of these visions um, because that's where most of the detail is given is in uh, one of those kingdoms, one of those four kingdoms, and then also in the kingdom that comes next that we'll talk about today. So those are the first three kingdoms, what I believe they represent. They parallel what we saw in Nebuchadnezzar's uh, vision of the great statue given in chapter 2. You remember there, there are four, four kingdoms, um, and then ultimately a fifth kingdom uh, with, of a rock cut without hands. We'll see that today. We said that represented the divine kingdom. Um, that kingdom is also in this vision of Daniel, which is the eternal kingdom. It was described there as being eternal. In this vision, it's described as lasting forever, so being eternal in its nature. So we have these four beasts that come up out of the water, and then there will be a fifth and I think actually a sixth kingdom that we'll see detailed as we go through here. Now, these first um, verses 4 through um, 8 are just a quick summary of what Daniel said. And then he'll expand this fourth beast down in verses 19 through, I think it's 26. Um, and so some of the things about this beast we won't talk about now. We'll wait till we get to 19 through 26 because there more detail is given. But we'll talk some about it here specifically what it looks like and what activity we see happening. So to get started here, let's just read verses 7 and 8 of Daniel chapter 7. There the scripture reads, After this I kept looking in the night visions, and behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, 
and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, when I read those two verses, all kinds of things flood into my mind that I've studied before in the scriptures. Um, this, I mean, we could talk for a long time about these two verses, but we're not going to. We're going to wait till we get over to verse 19 and, and talk about it. But we, let's at least look at the description and a little bit of the detail that's given here. Um, this fourth beast um, has teeth that are made out of iron. And you remember the fourth beast in the image of ne that Nebuchadnezzar saw was made out of iron. The legs and the feet of the statue were made out of iron. So I see this as corresponding to that same kingdom. And the kingdom, I mean, we know from history that you had the Babylonian kingdom, then the Medo-Persian that developed into the Persians. Then you had the Greek kingdom, and after the, the Greek kingdom was defeated somewhere between 100 and 150 BC by the Romans. And so I believe this kingdom represents the Romans, which clearly were strong, um, like iron is strong. Um, so that's the correspondence that I believe is there. I think as we get deeper into this, especially 19 through 26, and then we talk about the vision and chapter 8 and then 9, I think you'll see um, that that's probably the best interpretation is that these four kingdoms represent those four world-dominating kingdoms. And since the Roman king kingdom, there really has been no empire that conquered the whole world. Certainly there have been empires. The, the next largest one after the Roman Empire would be the Ottoman Empire. But then after the Ottoman Empire, you have the world wars and you have many nations. So nobody has controlled the amount of territory and had the influence that those four kingdoms had. Um, so I think that these are the only kingdoms that are world dominating. And I'll try and tie that in to where we're at today and all of that um, as we go further into these visions. But those are the really, as you look at ancient world and all the way up to the modern world, those are the four world dominating kingdoms that have existed. Um, the Ottoman, an argument could be made that they did, but they didn't conquer and influence um, the uh, European nations anywhere near to the degree that these others did. So um, anyway, we'll talk about that more as we go further into this. But this is an extremely strong kingdom. And you notice he says that it is um, dreadful. Um, it's overwhelming in its appearance and uh, later, he'll say that it was different from all the kingdoms that he's already seen. And so you say, well, what makes it so different? Well, you'll, you'll notice in the first three kingdoms that he said it looks like a lion. It looks like a bear. It looks like a leopard. So natural animals that Dan, uh, Daniel presumably would have seen in his life. Um, and so he relates them to things that he's seen. This beast, 
he doesn't describe an animal at all because it's so different from anything he's ever seen before. And so he can't identify it with a beast. So it's different than all the ones that came before it. I think that's what he's trying to get at when he says that this one was different from all the others. Okay, because it doesn't look like anything that he's ever seen before. And he'll, he'll get into describing more of this. Um, you notice the other thing that he says is that it has 10 horns. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't know of a beast that would have 10 horns. Uh, chapter 8, we'll see a ram and a goat. Uh, the ram has um, two horns, and then the goat has one horn. But this one's very different. This, this one has 10 horns on its head. So, and these horns, you, they are the beast itself. I mean, they're on the beast, but you can't separate the horns from the beast. And a lot of people try to do that when they get into interpreting this. Well, these 10 horns represent this and the whole beast represents this. You can't do that because these horns are on the beast. So they, they control the beast, they are the beast, and you can't go about separating them into different things, okay? And, and you'll see a lot of interpretations that do that, but I don't think that's valid um, because these are horns that are on the beast itself. And so Daniel is, is alarmed, and you can just imagine the overwhelming part of this vision when you see this beast and you you've never seen anything like it before and it's got 10 horns on its head and then he describes this activity that happens in verse 8 where he says that an 11th horn and a small one comes up among the other 10 and so this is imagery that we'll see um, in other parts of the scripture given later and that will be very significant when we get to the other visions that Daniel has. And um, so this, this horn comes up, and you will notice that when it does, three other horns are torn out by their roots, which means completely destroyed, right? I mean, if, a, if you have a horn and you tear it out by its roots, the horn is going to die because it has no nourishment. And so these other three horns are completely decimated and destroyed. And you'll notice that it says that these other three horns were pulled out by their roots before the 11th horn. Okay, so apparently this 11th horn has something to do with these other three horns being pulled out by their roots. They're pulled out by their roots because of the 11th horn. So again, all kinds of imagery of things that are later in the scripture go off in my mind when I, when I read these, but we want to see the vision of Daniel before we go making relationships to things that may or may not be related to it. So you want to understand what is given here. Then when you get to the interpretation, which an angel in the vision gives to Daniel, then you can start to tie other things to it because you're told this is what it means and this is what it represents. But right now, we just see the vision. And so you have 10 horns, an 11th one comes up, 
It's smaller than the rest of them, but it grows exceedingly large, and then three horns are pulled up by the roots before it. So that's got to be significant um, that we have 11 horns that are on this beast, and only and one of them was that not there originally. So um, horns in Scripture, I mean, you can go to many different places, typically rec- represents um, authority or kingship or something like that. It's a leader. Um, it's usually what horns represent. So if that's the case, then this beast has 10 rulers, and then an 11th one comes up and destroys three of them. And that's what would typically be represented in the scripture by horns. That clearly will be the the case in chapter 8 when we see um, a ram that has two horns, one being the Medians and one being the Persians, and then a goat that has one horn, that being Alexander the Great. So um, the, that's what these horns all through these, in, these visions represent, is authority, kingship, those who rule. So um, some details are given about this 11th horn, and I think they're significant. You notice it says that this 11th horn possess eyes like the eyes of a man and it had a mouth that made great boasts. Well, I believe the reason it has eyes that look like the eyes of a man is because this is a human being, this 11th horn. It represents someone in either past history or future history, a specific person. And he has eyes that look like the eyes of a man, so he's in the same form that we are, even though you have this dreadful beast. There's someone who rules in this beastly kingdom that is a man and looks like a man. And he has a mouth, and with that mouth, he makes great boasts. And we'll see in a minute, or maybe we'll get that far today, that he makes those great boasts not only before the world as the beast comes up, and this is an earthly kingdom, but also before the throne of God, he makes boasts. So he's very arrogant, he's very boastful, he's all about himself, and um, so, and he's a human. Now it's important to remember that he says this here because as you get into other parts of scripture where I believe the same one is described, it's a human. It's nothing supernatural, it's not something that comes down or comes out of the pit, it is a human that's born just like you and I were born, grew up just like you and I grew up, and yet he's a great ruler. And we've seen that of all these other rulers when we talked about um, Darius, or we talked about Cyrus, or we talked about Alexander the Great, or Nebuchadnezzar, or Belshazzar. These are all humans who are ruling these kingdoms, and the same thing is true in these kingdoms, all four of them. And so I think that's why Daniel says he has eyes like the eyes of a man. Although he's on in, in incorporated in this terrible, terrifying beast. And so it's important to remember that as we go further. Because people, again, have all kinds of interpretations where they use supernatural creatures 
to represent what Daniel says has eyes like a man and a mouth that is boastful. So we'll get into more of that as we, as we go through this vision. Um, but so that's the way that Daniel sees and describes this fourth beast. Um, it's clearly dreadful, it's overwhelming, and it's, it is the beast that is described in the most detail in this vision, but those aren't given until verses 19 through 26. So when we get there, we'll talk more about what these things mean and what they represent. But for now, we'll just leave that and we'll go on through the vision that Daniel saw. Then we'll talk about what it means. Okay, so <clears throat> in verses nine and 10, uh, we have something very different that we've, than what we've seen in Daniel so far. He says there, I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was white like snow, and his hair, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him, Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened. Okay, so this is the description of a court scene. You've got the throne, which if you have ever been in court before, you know that's kind of what the looks like where the judge sits. He's up higher than everybody else, and everybody... Uh, has to rise when he comes in and sit down when he when he says you can sit down and I mean it's a lot of protocol <clears throat> that goes on in a courtroom. You can't just speak whenever you want to. You have to be asked to speak, and um, and so uh, a lot goes on there. Um, <clears throat> and this ancient of days, as he's described, you you won't find that term anywhere else in scripture. So Daniel has a, a unique way of describing this. Uh, and you won't find um, this description of the Ancient of Days anywhere else in Scripture, where he's got, um, it says his vesture is white. That means his clothing is all white. And that his hair is like pure wool, which again would be white. And that there are flames around him. And that flowing out from him is a river of fire. So all of these things, I believe, represents purity and righteousness. I mean, white is always something that is pure, right? That's why a bride wears a white gown at her wedding. And fire is that which purifies. They use it to melt down metal so they can sweep off the dross and have pure metal. Um, so fire, white, all represents purity and righteousness. And so, and then you have this throne that the Ancient of Days is sitting on. So this is a picture, I believe, of the divine kingdom. This is the same thing that we saw in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, where after the statue, the statue was toppled and pummeled into dust, by a rock cut without hands, which is the divine eternal kingdom. And so this is God himself, God the Father, sitting on his throne, 
ready to make judgment of myriads and myriads that are standing before him. The thousands upon thousands that are attending him, I believe, are the angels who are around the throne of God and attend him. Okay, and then you have this myriad of peoples standing before the judge, ready for him to pronounce judgment as he's opened the books. Now, this should, if you've studied scripture to any degree in, about eschatology, should bring to your mind Revelation chapter 20. This is very similar to this chapter. Um, so, God, in his purity, in his righteousness, able to make righteous judgments, sits on his throne and opens the, the books, which are the deeds of men. And those who are not in Christ will be judged according to their deeds. So the, those who are in Christ will be rewarded according to their deeds. So hopefully there are some righteous deeds in that life to be rewarded, but they won't be judged for their deeds. So let's look over at Revelation 20, just so you can see how this parallels those particular verses. Chapter 20 of Revelation in verses 11, beginning in verse 11, going, I don't know, it's really only a couple of verses here, but I'll probably read a few more. So Revelation 20, verse 11. Now this is after Jesus Christ has come in chapter 19 and destroyed all those who were gathered against Israel. And then it says, then Christ will reign for a thousand years. After the thousand years, Satan's in the abyss. After a thousand years, Satan will be released to deceive the nations once more. Then there's a, another short war that we looked at when we were looking at Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 that is given. And then after that war comes this section. So this is after... Uh, Satan's been released and thrown into the lake of fire. Um, the Antichrist and the false prophets having been in the lake of fire for a thousand years while Christ reigned. Then we come to this section here. After all that has taken place and that final war after the millennial reign has taken place. And you come to verse 11 of Revelation 20. And John wrote, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds." And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And, any, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So you have the books which are open, which are the books of the deeds of everybody's life and then there's another book which is the book of life 
And if your name is not in the book of life, you're judged according to the book of deeds. Okay, and so you see the same kind of picture. God on his throne in heaven, in purity, sitting down to make judgments of everybody who's ever lived. Every person standing before the throne. So this is the myriad of myriads that are standing before the throne. You notice it says the great and the small. So those who were great rulers, Napoleon, Alexander, um, maybe Nebuchadnezzar, maybe not, but Belshazzar for sure. Um, uh, these great rulers will be standing beside the peasants who were in their kingdom. Nobody is above anybody. They're all going to be judged according to their deeds done in this life. And again, if your name's not found in the book of life, the fire coming from the throne of God is for you. So a terrifying thought. Um, and Daniel's very alarmed by this and overcome. But you can see that this is a picture that is very similar to what Daniel sees in 550 B.C. I mean, at least 2,500 years before, right? 2,600 years before this is actually going to take place. Daniel's given this vision by God so that he might see what's going to happen in the future and that he might write it down. You remember at the very beginning, Daniel said he had this vision and he wrote it down so he could remember it and so that he could preserve it so that we could read it. And so um, this is the picture that Daniel sees. He doesn't see everything that's going to happen there, and he doesn't see it in as much detail as is given in Revelation, but he certainly, certainly gets the picture of God sitting on his throne in judgment with every human that's not in Christ that's ever lived. We'll talk more about that in detail later standing before the throne of God. So billions of people in front of the throne of God for him to judge each person, not in general, but according to what they did in their life, according to their deeds. So um, terrifying thoughts of being thrown into the lake of fire that never is quenched, and lasts for eternity. These, this is the eternal kingdom. This never ends. This goes on forever and ever. And it says that in Revelation, it says that here in Daniel. When we get to the interpretation, this is an everlasting kingdom. Nothing ever overcomes this kingdom. This is the final kingdom. So Daniel, seeing all of this, just overcome. Um, so this judgment, um, God himself, you know, no man can see God and live, right? So the scripture says. And so Daniel sees an image that represents God. Uh, and that's what this whole vision is. I mean, they're real. God put it into his mind. He really sees what, he's what he writes down. No doubt about that. But these are visions that are given to Nebuchadnezzar, visions that are given to Daniel by God for specific reasons. And some of those reasons were given, some we aren't. Nebuchadnezzar was given his dream 
because he was wondering what would happen in the future. And God says, you're wondering? I'll tell you what's going to happen. And he gives him this vision. And so this one being parallel is the same thing. Is you've given Daniel a vision of what's going to happen in the future. Future kingdoms. And again, written by Daniel in the 500s BC. So before most of these things had taken place. Um, so Revelation 20, um, I believe, matches up to this vision that Daniel has in, in chapter 7. Now, he, keep, he keeps on going um, after he sees God seated on his throne, books open, clearly going to make judgment based on what's written in the books. Then we get this flash forward, this really what seems to, I mean, as you start to think about this, um, and we'll have to make some sense of this, remember that most interpreters believe that this fourth beast is the, the Roman kingdom. And I believe that. Uh, doesn't make it right, but it is the way that I see this. But now, look at what is written in verses 11 and 12. Then I kept looking. This is after he sees God seated on his throne. Same vision. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. Okay, so if I'm right, and this fourth beast represents the Roman kingdom, and the horns represent rulers of that beastly kingdom, then here we have that horn before the throne of God at the end of the age. Now, how can that be? How can someone who ruled the Roman kingdom now here still be speaking before the throne of God in the final judgment? Got to make some sense of that, right? And there are various interpretations. Um, most, I would say, believe that the Roman Empire will be revitalized, will be rebirthed. It'll be a European kingdom that'll have ten nations in it. And that all made sense for a lot of people when the European Union was first created because it had 10 nations. But today it has 22. So that kind of blows that theory. So, you know, but, but there's still a lot of people who believe that, that the Rome in the European kingdom will be revitalized and this horn is a leader that comes out of the European kingdom. I don't believe that. So I'll have to explain to you what I do believe, right? And, and why? And how could it be that this ruler is associated with the Roman kingdom? And I'll do that, but not until we get to verse 19 through 26. Okay? But I will do that because I think it makes perfect sense. I don't have any problem with um, the revitalization of a Roman kingdom and all of that but I don't believe it's European. And we'll go through history and we'll look at that a little bit. We already have, so I've already given you some hints as we looked at the world powers that ruled. 
and then then make sense of how could this horn be associated with this fourth kingdom because it is i mean this this is one of the strongest arguments that those who believe in a european antichrist use is that that's what daniel sees is a revitalized roman empire with this horn ruling over it and that's the antichrist and so that's how they make that argument i just disagree with them and that's okay there are more and more beginning to disagree with that every day um, because history is unfolding before us and the world is very different than how it was even 20 years ago and we see more and more of the picture so we'll talk about that a little bit when we get down to verses 19 through 26 but notice this horn even before the throne of god where god is sitting on his throne to pronounce judgments of the great and the small this horn is still boasting before god almighty seated on his throne i mean it's outrageous and this is a human being all those standing before the the throne of god that myriad upon myriads those are human beings that have lived and this guy is a human being and yet he is the boastful one even before the throne of god and so what does god do he destroys him and throws him into the lake of fire enough you know you're done and he throws him into the lake of fire he kept speaking until the beast was slain so again you can't disassociate the horn from the beast because the horn is speaking but the beast is slain meaning the horn is slain also because the horn gets its nourishment from the beast so they're all destroyed and thrown into the lake of fire god says i've had enough and destroys him then it says has this interesting little verse that people get all wrapped around the axles about where it says as for the rest of the beast their dominion was taken away but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time now the appointed period of time is this time where god sits on his throne to judge people opens the books judgment has come so that's the appointed time but think about it the babylonian kingdom was overtaken by the medo-persian kingdom the medo-persians were overtaken by the greeks the greeks were overtaken by the romans ultimately the romans were overtaken by the ottomans and then we come into modern history and you have world war one and then world war two and we have all these nations that are created in the middle east that did not exist under the ottoman empire they were created out of the world wars so those people groups the babylonians the persians the uh, greeks even the romans still exist today those those people had descendants that are alive today so while the kingdoms were destroyed the people weren't all killed they weren't all wiped out so they still exist so that is the extension of time that was given to them this this final beast he's given no time the end of his life is eternal judgment but all those other kingdoms and all their descendants final judgment hasn't come yet 
This is their extension of time, is the time from which their kingdom was destroyed until final judgment. But not so for the beast, the, the fourth beast, and not so for the horn that speaks boastfully. He goes immediately from life to death, eternal death. He has no period of time that's given to him. So I believe that's what this verse is speaking of. Speaking of their kingdoms were destroyed, but the peoples weren't all judged in an eternal sense and still haven't been as of today. That's all yet future. That's something that we all face in the future is judgment from God. Those who are in Christ for reward. Those who are not in Christ according to their deeds for eternal punishment. That's the way the scriptures lay it out. And that hasn't happened yet. So an extension of life has been granted to those other kingdoms in that those descendants still live and will until the final days, until this final judgment. Now, I'm one of the few. I mean, I can't find many people who agree with me, but when the final battle with the Antichrist takes place, I don't believe everybody is killed. All the unbelievers are killed. I just don't believe that. The reason I don't believe it is because I don't see it in the scriptures. All their armies are killed, absolutely. No doubt about that. All the armies gathered against Israel are destroyed and the blood runs up to the horse's bridles for 200 miles, 206 miles. No doubt about that. But think about it. When you send your army out, not everybody goes, right? The young don't go, the very old don't go. Um, in some countries, the women don't go, just the men go. Um, so everybody doesn't go to fight in the army because there needs to be somebody back at home making the munitions and the arms and all of that to support the army. So if you destroy the armies, which is what is given in Revelation 19, you don't kill everybody. So I believe there are a lot of people who live from the final battles in the world as it exists during the Antichrist into the Millennial Kingdom. Doesn't mean they're believers. Doesn't, I mean, if they are, then why does Christ rule with an iron rod? And that's what the scripture describes him as, ruling with an iron rod. And those who are in Christ ruling with him. The reason they rule is so there can be righteous rule over the whole world. Because everybody's not righteous. And that goes on for a thousand years. So I don't believe everybody is killed. So, but when you come to this throne of God where judgment is given, that's everybody. That's Because every, you notice it says, heaven and earth fled away and no place was found for them. So that's everybody because there is no earth on which for them to live anymore. So we'll talk about these in more detail, but this is the way I parse it, and that's what I think verse 12 means about an extension of life was given for them. They're still alive today, but not so for the beast, not so for the horn. They go immediately from life into everlasting death. So they're different. They look different. They don't look like an animal. They act differently. They're boastful before the throne of God and they die differently. They still die, but they go immediately to judgment. So this is a very, very different beast. 
Okay, so after this, once that Antichrist is done away with, and you'll, you'll see this matches Revelation perfectly, that then we have the Son of Man appearing before the throne of God. So in perfect sequence, the Son of Man being, and we'll look at this next time if God wills, the Son of Man who comes in beginning in verse 13 and going on, that is the millennial kingdom. A kingdom was given to him. So that is Christ coming after the horn is destroyed to the Ancient of Days receiving a kingdom which is not eternal, lasts for a thousand years, but then melts into the eternal divine kingdom. So I think Daniel is laying out for us exactly what other scriptures say. And he sees parts of it, but we have the privilege of living after Revelation was written and seeing how it all fits together. Well, most of it fits together. We clearly don't have it all figured out. So this is the way that I see it. So it's the way I teach it. I could be wrong, willing to admit that, but clearly I don't think I'm wrong. And, but we have to make sense of how could the horn come out of the fourth beast and be at the throne of God. We gotta, somehow that's gotta be reconciled, right? Because it's not at this point, if you take the perspective that I do. So um, that's where we'll end this morning. I appreciate your time and your attentiveness. And if God wills, we'll go on to the um, rest of the chapter in coming weeks. Thank you.